Well, good morning again. Uh, I don't know why I was a fan of that show. I mean, every season there was a crisis that was followed, and it was exciting. You know, there was some terrorist plot, and, and the hero of the show, Jack Bauer, would do whatever it took to protect the American people. And I mean whatever it took to protect the American people. But, and, and the show was ridiculously unpredictable. Uh, you would get really attached to characters and they kill them off. The only thing you knew for certain when you watched 24 is that if Jack Bauer was dead at the end of one episode, they'd bring him back to life. They'd revive him, some, you know, shoot him in the heart or whatever and bring him back to life at the beginning of the next show. That's all you knew. Other than that, it was totally unpredictable. And at the end of almost every episode, terribly depressing. I mean, just absolutely. Even at the end of the season, Jack would be walking away to Mexico, you know, to avoid prosecution from the government of the, uh, of, of the people that he saved, you know. And, and one season, his girlfriend was literally on a slow boat to China to be tortured. So it was a, just it was a tough show. Uh, if you were here last week, you, especially if it was your first time, you may have felt sort of like the end of one of those episodes of 24. Um, we're in the book of Galatians, and last week we, we considered what the Bible tells us about this battle that rages in the heart and life of every believer, a battle <clears throat> that is known in this text as battle between the Spirit and the flesh, the Holy Spirit and the flesh, not, not the skin that's on our bones, but, but the part of us that lives for self, the old man, it's called in other places uh, uh, of Scripture. Um, and the old man, the flesh in us, desires to have its way. Sometimes the sin that results of, of the old man having its way in our lives looks ugly, very ugly, in the extreme cases like adultery and murder. Or it may look very good, as in a good work done for a wrong motive. Ever done that? Done something good to get what you want? Ever think you were doing something good for a good for the right reason, and then all of a sudden you recognize, oh wait a minute, I, I think I may have had a, <clears throat> a hidden motive here. It, the sin may even look benign, such as gluttony. Well, wait a minute, that's a, this is a bad day to say that with potluck. Uh, potluck is a very special day here, as you will discover if you will stay with us even if you came and you didn't bring food please stay with us there's no way we'll eat it all I don't see too many football players so I think we're okay today uh, when Michael my son was in high school he and it was Caleb Smith I think wrote a song about potluck day I resonated with that song I, I, I liked it a lot so stay please stay but I digress the works of the flesh comprise a nasty list. In Galatians 5, it's immediately followed by, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and on it goes. So that you're not left in this terrible pit too much if you're just reading through the book of Galatians. Unfortunately, last week we had to cut it off. I had intended to go through the text, but the entire text, but there was just not enough time. And there's no way to review it today. So if you want to receive the full meaning and the impact of today's message, then listen to last week's sermon on our website or, or email me 
for a written copy, and I'll be happy to send it. There, there, there are some really important comments made, especially for college students and, and, and for those of you freshmen who are coming in. So it may be worth your time to read or listen to that message. This morning, the, the, the topic and the time together is going to be much more encouraging. In fact, I heard a very encouraging word this week when, when I was told that D.A. Carson quoted a friend saying, that we worship our way into sin, we must worship our way out of sin. You get that? Whatever we, whatever we give our priorities, our, our focus, our attention, whatever is ultimate in our, lives, in our lives, that's what we're worshiping. And so, we need to change the focus of our worship instead of worshiping money and sex and power and 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 whatever benefits me instead of worshiping ourselves really we need to begin to worship god that's what the first verse in our text tells us you're going to talk about it if you're in a home group this week a whole lot more and about how sometimes You just need to not focus on trying to quit doing the bad thing that you're doing, but just start doing good things. Just start worshiping the right place. And then you begin to see the sin for the ugly thing that it is. So, that's what the first verse of our text is going to tell us. We're going to talk more about that even next week as well, about overcoming temptation. But let's get to our text. Our text today is Galatians 5. And we're going to start in verse 16 today, started in 13 last week, 16 to the end of the chapter. We often will stand when we read our text, and let's do that this morning. If you would, please stand as I read. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You get it? You see that? If you'll be walking in the Spirit, you won't be... (coughs) gratifying the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And last week, I just want to say this about last week. When we came to this verse, we read a quote from John Calvin who said, does this mean that anyone who struggles with these sins doesn't go to heaven? No. Very likely, you struggle with some of these sins this past week. But when there is no repentance, when there is no desire to to come back to the Lord, these works will testify against us on the last day. And so... Our lives need to, it's a constant struggle, sin and good, sin and and God. 
And, and, and his point is, move away. You, look, you, people who live like this are not going to heaven. Don't live like that. You live this way. The fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we uh, sit this morning under your word. We pray that you would open our hearts and, and prepare us for it, make us receptive and responsive. Change us by your Holy Spirit, by your word. Make us more like Jesus, Father. And it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen. Thanks and be seated. <clears throat> we noticed already last week that the, the Apostle Paul makes a distinction between the works, plural, of the flesh and the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. The works of the flesh, and, and this wording seems to be intentional, the works of the flesh are, are, are chaotic and they just pile up one on top of the other. They're natural for us with our plotting and our conniving to protect and please ourselves. Uh, and the list that we, we read last week is, is far from complete. And as horrible as this list reads, we all struggle with one or more of these awful sins, even when we thought we'd left them far behind. Happens, doesn't it? You know, you do something and you think, I can't believe, I, I thought I was past that. In the 4th century, it was quite popular for Christian leaders to go into the desert in an attempt to, to, to escape the temptations of the flesh. And it sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? You know, if I can just get away from <clears throat> this riffraff that's all around me, I, I'll be okay. Uh, but we can never leave the flesh behind, as St. Jerome uh, from the early church discovered. Jerome, who gave us the first Latin translation of the Bible, known as the Vulgate. Uh, Jerome, who was known as a hardy and a stern disciplinarian. Listen to his description of his inability to deny the flesh. Oh, how often I imagine that I was in the midst of the pleasures of Rome when I was stationed in the desert. In that solitary wasteland, which is so burned up by the heat of the sun that it provides a dreadful habitation for the monks. I, who because of the fear of hell, had condemned myself to such a hell and who had nothing but scorpions and wild animals for company, often thought that I was dancing in a chorus with girls. My face was pale from freezing, but my mind burned with passionate desires within my freezing body. And the fires of sex seethed even though the flesh had already died in me. As a man. Now, this is from a guy that if you'd listen to this man preach, you would have thought, whoo, he's holy. I'll never be as. He recognized, this is who I am. 
apart from God. The whole point of Galatians is that we can never do anything good enough to please God. We cannot live our lives in such a way that God's going to say, okay, you're good enough, you get into heaven. You can't earn your own salvation. Even your good works are tainted with a self-focused, self-serving, self-righteousness that is abhorrent to a holy God. But because of his great love for us, he sent his son Jesus to do something about our sin, about our self-focus, about always trying to live for ourselves. He sent his son Jesus who completely denied himself, even when he didn't want to. And died on a cross, willingly taking our place as the Father turned his back on him. This perfect communion that the Father and Son had was broken because of your sin, because of my sin. And when we recognize, when we repent of our sin, which just means to acknowledge who we are before God. God, I'm just, I, I, I'm sinful in the ways that you say I am. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that he died my place. And I, right now, I commit my life to you. That... That's when you become a Christian. That's when you're saved. But even after that, there is no way that you can say, okay, I'm a different person. We hear songs all the time. Thank God I'm not who I used to be. That's true. If you belong to Jesus, you're not who you used to be. But the good that comes out of you is because of Him. And even <clears throat> as a believer, we have to depend on the Lord for a holy life. A holy life apart from the Holy Spirit is impossible. And in fact, even when God's Spirit lives in us, a battle rages. But there's a calm in the storm that is once again a free gift. It's a free gift from God. It's the fruit, not fruits, but the fruit of the Spirit. And it's a gift of God, not something that we can produce on our own. When we seek to manufacture holiness, in fact, when we say, okay, I'm good enough now, I've got this, I'm going to do it, I'm going to live like I ought to live, God is gracious to remind us, just as he reminded Jerome, that it's not happening because of the goodness that's in here. That is... self-produced any goodness in here comes from above that's how the gospel continues to impact Christ followers we think about the gospel and we think okay that a person who doesn't know Jesus needs to hear the gospel no I need to preach the gospel to myself every day you may not notice at first glance but the fruit of the spirit in verse 22 is organized quite differently than the works of the flesh. There is order here as opposed to the discordant, chaotic works of the flesh. And I want to acknowledge up front Timothy George's uh, input in this message as we move through and the contribution that he makes in, in the material that follows. And who here notes the beautiful harmony, balance, symmetry, and purpose in the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is neatly arranged uh, into three groupings, though once again this list is far from exhaustive. Notice love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Some would go so far as to say, in fact, I, I, 
John Stott and that the home group leaders are using would say that, you know, this is the love, joy, and peace uh, are looking upward to, to God. Uh, the middle group focuses outward, patience, kindness, goodness. And then the last group is comprised of inner disciplines, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. But I think there's a better way to look at this list and, and the way that most people would think. And that is, there's love. And from love flows joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In fact, you don't really have love unless all of these other graces of the Spirit are evident in your life. In other words, love is not first among equals. It's the fountain and the source from which all of these others' virtues grow. As you're reading through the New Testament, you see this over and over. I I didn't have it planned here. I've got it in the home group notes, but let me just go ahead and say it. The Apostle Paul uses the word love, either agape as a noun or agapao, the the verb form of, of love. Over a hundred times. You know how many times that he talks about love focusing upward? Now look, we know what the great commandment is. What's the great commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. The second is like the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul only twice talks about our love going to the Father. Romans eight twenty eight and 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. Over a hundred times, he talks about our love for one another. In fact, this word love is prominent in all of the New Testament. We find all kinds of other things. But God focuses very heavily on our love for one another. Certainly for the world as well, but first and foremost, for one another. And so as you're reading through... The New Testament, you often see love listed as the highest Christian virtue. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Above all, this is one of my favorite verses, love each other deeply because you live with a bunch of scoundrels. And love, that's my translation, it's it's not reputable, but it's essentially what Peter's saying, because love covers over a multitude of sins. All of these verses that emphasize the high priority of love are written within the context of unity in the church in how we are to treat one another. And that gives us a clue about the fruit of the Spirit. It's the same as with the, the gifts of the Spirit. God did not give us spiritual gifts so that we can be impressed with ourselves. Nor does he give us the fruit of the Spirit so that we can be at peace in our hearts. Oh, it's just an awesome thing. Jerome had two problems when he went into the desert. One, he didn't realize that the flesh would follow him. And two, even if enormous spiritual fruit had resulted from his alone time with God, it wouldn't have benefited anybody else. And that's an oxymoron. It's almost a non sequitur. I mean, God gives you something. He doesn't give it for you to just sit there. 
and be impressed with it and say, oh, I'm so glad I have the peace of God. It's more about being at peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Last week, we, we took a brief look at each of the 15 works of the flesh that were listed in verses 19 to 21. So this morning, we're going to pause briefly at each aspect of the fruit of the Spirit. Not, not that, you know, we spend so much time focusing on all that that we, that we miss the overall truth. But, but if, if it was important enough for God to list them here, then let's just take a quick look. L- love, as we've already said, is the highest virtue. Jesus said... If we love God with all of our soul, heart, and might, and strength, what happens? Then, then we're fulfilling the law of God. All the law and the prophets rest on these two commands. See, this whole argument, the, what you see about law, if you're just coming into this, you, you haven't been here through our study in Galatians. These Galatians were saying, you know, if I can just keep the law, if I can just keep the law, God will accept me. And Paul was saying, your acceptance with God has nothing to do with the law. You're not good enough. If God's not, if God does not give you salvation, you don't get it. And, and the point that he's making here is, look, when you're controlled by the Spirit of God, then you don't, you're fulfilling the law. There's no law against love, joy, peace. So quit trying in your own strength to do what you are utterly incapable of doing. Let God do it through you. And as he does work through you, you are going to love. And since it is better to give than to receive, it's no wonder that love flows naturally into joy. Joy is a celebration that occurs continually or should occur continually in the heart of a believer. No matter what our circumstances are, because joy is looking or, or, or the believer is looking to God's ultimate victory over the powers of sin and death, not for his life to get a little bit better, improvement of one's circumstances. Do you know why you don't have joy that you want? It's because you're waiting for life to get just a, just a little bit better. If I can just get that job. If I can just get over this panic, if I can just move beyond the broken heart that this person has left me with, if I can just... You're waiting for your circumstances to get just a little bit better, much like the rich man who needs just a little bit more, just a little bit more to be happy. It'll never happen. If you are waiting for your life to improve just a little bit so that you can experience true joy, I'm sorry to tell you. That day's not coming. If your circumstances improve and you're happy, well, that's just what you are. You're happy. You don't have the joy that is the fruit of the Spirit. What do the dirty sins of this world and what do the sufferings of this life have to do with the glories that await us in heaven? Nothing. We know this deep down, but there are very, very few of us 
who exhibit one joy. Because we all know that it only takes one phone call, one trip to the doctor, one accident to completely change our lives. Listen to me. Your joy is not dependent on your circumstances. Well, you know, just stop it. You don't get joy if that's it. And look, I'm sorry if I sound like I'm coming at your heart. I'm having a moment. I'm preaching to myself, all right? Your joy is not dependent on what happens to you. Your happiness may be, but not your joy. Your joy is dependent upon your focus in life. Are you focused on the things all around you or are you focused on eternity? Joy that comes from the Holy Spirit is a gift from God. Now think about that. You can't work this up. It's a gift from God to one who believes so deeply in the hope that we have in Jesus that he or she is not devastated by the reversals in this life. If this seems impossible to you, believe, and believe me, I, I get the idea of panicking in desperate situations. But, but if you wonder how you could have this joy in the middle of personal catastrophe, remember that at the end of this text, we are commanded to keep in step with the Spirit. It's a military expression, as in, he's calling out a cadence. You know, left, right. I think I got it wrong. Left, right. That's why, I, 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 you know, I... I flunked basic training. I actually, believe me, I stayed as far away as I could. Um, and you know what? You may hear a faint call in your conscience or in the advice of others, but the Spirit's voice is crystal clear in His Word. He wrote this book, and He's calling out a cadence. And if you'll stay in step with Him... You'll have joy. If you want to read about joy in tough times, read the book of 1 Peter, where the Apostle Peter wrote to believers who were about to endure great suffering. And even so, Peter called them to rejoice. And he called them from a heart that was full of joy, even though this man suffered much, even at the hands of his own flesh. I mean, Peter. Peter was a passionate guy. I love him. He's one of my favorite New Testament characters. Because Peter taught us that the difference between, and I don't even like to use this wording, but you'll know what I mean. The difference between a successful Christian and an unsuccessful Christian is that the successful Christian gets up when he falls on his face. And Peter did it over and over. And you know what he did? He got up and he didn't, he didn't worry about it. Most of us just kind of crawl along after we blow it. So Peter understood that anything good in his life came from above. And so consequently he had joy. If it's true according to Romans 10, that the more time in the word that we have, the greater our faith, and I believe that's true, then it's going to be the same thing with joy. Faith, hope, joy are all strengthened. Not only in the Word, but in our spiritual conversations that we have with other believers. 
in, in listening to the podcast of the right Bible teachers, in Christian music, by reading Christian literature, and, and, and prayer, and any number of spiritual disciplines. When our focus is in that life, it's, when it's in that way, our love for others grows and our joy grows. And let me ask you a question. Do, do you think that your determination to suffer or to, or to rejoice in the midst of suffering, do you think that benefits the body? It does, doesn't it? You remember somebody who gave praise to God in the midst of a, a great trial. And you, your faith grew. And you said, Lord, this is who I want to be. So a foundation has been laid with love. And I said, we're going quickly. We are from here, believe me. And then joy, and now the rest builds. Peace is so much more than the absence of violence and strife. It's a condition, a sense of wholeness that we have and well-being that is the result of being right with God and of living in harmony with one's fellow human beings. Patience is a willingness to bear with others and with our own difficult circumstances, of course. But the primary focus here, is, as with all of these, is outward and, and patience with others who are difficult. You have any of those people in your life, difficult people? Don't you just wish God treated you the same way that you want to treat them? No, of course not. We, we don't want that. So treat them the way that you want God to treat, or the way that God does treat you. He treats you better than you even want Him to. This is a gift. If if it's a gift of the Spirit, then it's a call for us to suffer long with others. Is that possible? Not, Not in your own heart and mind. Not in your own strength. But it's possible. You know, this is one of those areas, isn't it, where you just commit... That you're going to be different toward this person, you know. You've sort of, you've ignored them. You've made snide remarks. You've, you've, you've done things even if you're really struggling to, that, that just put the other person down, whatever. And so you're going to do better. And then, sure enough, they do something and you just, ah! And you go right back, you know, to where you were. It's not possible in your own heart and mind, but it is possible when the Spirit is in control of your life. Kindness, that's that's a word we don't think about too much. It, It seems to be inimical to strength, but true strength that comes from God will cause us to be kind to others. How often in Scripture do we see words like Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another? That was one of the verses that we taught our children when they were little. And and I can still hear those voices ringing in my head. Be ye kind one to another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. It's the opposite of being frustrated with others, wouldn't you say? Remember that today at Potluck. You know, when the guy in front of you takes the last little bit of lasagna, whatever it is that you want, or in whatever line you happen to stand tomorrow, remember this. Goodness. This is a spirit of benevolence towards someone else. Benevolence is doing good to others. 
Once a month on the last Sunday of the month, we take an offering at the end of the service uh, for those who are in need, both in our body and outside of our body. As I mentioned earlier, Sean's going to bring us home in Galatians two weeks in a row in a couple of weeks, uh, the Sunday after Labor Day in Galatians 6, but we're going to hear the Apostle Paul say, do good to all men, especially to those who are of the household of faith. It's always that order. A lot of people who love Jesus think it's the other way. You know, that we, that we give to others, and if we've got anything left over, we give to the body. But, but really, the body comes first. It's just like your family. It is our family, right? But what do you do with your family? I mean, you, you take care of them before you take care of anybody else. Well, we're family, and we're to take care of one another. We're to love one another like that. So a benevolent spirit first is seen in the body, and then it moves outside, and and it does not stay in the body. If it does, we're inward-focused, and we're a mess. We're not anything close to what God wants us to be, but it's got to start there. So you're going to have the opportunity to use this aspect of the spirit, uh, the fruit of the spirit, in just a few minutes as we collect our benevolence offering. But goodness implies more than giving financially. It, it, it implies going the second mile. And the second mile, you might remember what, what Jesus was talking about, was Roman soldiers could come along and, and say, Hey, Jew, carry my bag. And, and by law, a Jew had to carry a bag. Anybody in, in the Roman Empire had to carry the bag for a mile. And they knew exactly how far a mile was. And almost always they would just, My mile is over. And Jesus said, no, when the, Rome, when the Roman soldier says, okay, Jew, your mile is over, to say, no, no, that's okay, I'm, I'll go another mile. See, going the second mile is just not giving extra effort. It's bearing longer with somebody who is just utterly against you. That's what goodness is. Faithfulness has a dual meaning. It refers both to belief and behavior. Belief in the gospel, of course. Understanding how all of this works. And then also trustworthiness in all of one's dealings with another. It's a gift. Gentleness is a submissive and teachable spirit toward God that manifests itself in genuine humility humility and consideration toward others. Two key thoughts, teachable spirit and humility. If you're proud and unteachable, there will be no spirit-filled life for you. In fact, I, I think probably the most important quality a disciple can have is a teachable spirit. Because it's, it, it comes from humility. And it moves in the direction that God has designed for us. Last, self-control. Lastly, self-control. It's a gift of the Spirit as all of these virtues that go together to display the fruit of the Spirit are... Uh, you got the sense when we were working through the works of the flesh last week that these acts are being committed by a person who absolutely uh, has no self-control. Well, especially those who are, who are really given over to the, to the works of the flesh. Uh, the Spirit brings a steady self-control to a believer's heart and mind. So who is in control of your life? You are the Holy Spirit. Think about that next time you say, okay, I'm going to take charge of my life. Now, look, 
Self-control is a gift of the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Spirit, part of the fruit of the Spirit. So taking charge of your life is not a bad thing as long as you recognize that anything good in you comes from above. It comes from God. The Holy Spirit takes control over our lives as we yield to Him and keep in step with Scripture. And as we're submissive to the circumstances that God brings into our lives in His sovereignty. So these words, submission, humility, teachable, they're all prominent in the fruit of the Spirit. Verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, you've got the Holy Spirit of God living in you. Why in the world do you want to just live any way that you want to? (laughs) If we live by the Spirit, let us also Keep in step with the Spirit. And interesting, the chapter ends, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You're going to tear each other apart, he said earlier in the chapter, if you're not careful. Again, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives is designed to go outward. But we don't get it apart from a desire to work in our lives. If God himself lives in us, then he is able to make us to be the person that he wants. And that's overwhelmingly better than than who we ever hoped that we could be. And by the time we get there, we won't think, oh man, aren't I such a good person? No. We'll just be sending so much praise and glory and honor to the Lord that others are attracted to Jesus. Well, I want us to close this morning with a quote from the second century, late second century, man named Irenaeus. You ever hear of Irenaeus? He's one of the uh, most important figures in church history. Again, one of the things that we're going to see as we start up in Genesis in a few weeks is, ain't no heroes in Genesis except God. You know, I mean, look, we talk about the heroes of the faith and Hebrews 11 kind of indicates that. But we make it more than it is. It, everything in Scripture points back to God. But Irenaeus was a guy that God used greatly. Uh, from a human standpoint, not God is sovereign and this would have never happened. But if there was one heresy in the church that almost got it, it was Christian Gnosticism. That's an oxymoron, but that's you know what they call it. Christian Gnosticism. In fact, Gnosticism was a threat to Western civilization because of its... its Emphasis on the dirtiness of the body and the, just the horror of procreation and babies being born. It's just, it's nasty. That's what Gnostics taught. We want to f- be released from this body and we want the, the spirit to soar. And there's this special knowledge that we have with God. And Jesus was a spirit. He wasn't really flesh and blood, but he was a spirit. And so all of that was going on. And, and, and the man was Irenaeus, and he paid for it. Anybody who fights for orthodoxy pays for it. Athanasius, later, in the 4th century. Um, but here's what Irenaeus said about our relationship with God. Offer God a soft and malleable heart. Then keep the shape in which the master molds you. Retain your moisture so that you do not harden. 
and lose the imprint of his fingers. Hebrews talks about our hearts being hardened against God and hardened by sin. When you sin, ask God for forgiveness. Repent of your sin. And in gratitude, walk with joy for His forgiveness. And and in the joy of His forgiveness. And let the Holy Spirit live in your life and shape you and mold you like you want He wants to. And don't get bitter and upset about all the things that happen. Retain your moisture so that you do not harden and lose the imprint of His fingers. That's beautiful, isn't it? Let's pray. Well, Father, um, we acknowledge who we are apart from you. We acknowledge also, and we acknowledge this through baptism that we did this morning, the baptism through our confession, and, and certainly you desire that we acknowledge this in our lives, that you have done great things for us, and that the future and the glory and the freedom not only from the penalty of sin, but freedom from the very presence of sin awaits us. We acknowledge that. Now cause us, according to 1 John 3, because of this hope that lives within us, to purify our lives and live holy lives just as you are pure. We know that that happens when the Holy Spirit gets involved. Our Father, this morning we are about to take a benevolence offering, as we do every month. What a privilege it is that you've put us in a place where we can help. Think about those those Macedonians, most likely the Philippians, Lord, that Paul wrote to or wrote about in 2 Corinthians. They were in deep poverty and they begged for an opportunity to give. Make us joyful givers. Much easier to put a 20 in the offering plate than it is to be patient with others, to be kind toward others, to love truly, to have joy no matter what happens. But once again, not only have you called us to it, you have empowered us, you have enabled us. So this morning we yield to you, we yield to your Holy Spirit, and thank you for what you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.